What's going on, Renaissance family? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. You know, today I'm going to do something that I've never done. Now, in my entire professional career, I've always been trained to never ask a question that you don't know the answer to. When I was practicing law, I remember in law school, and uh, in my civil procedure class and all my litigation classes, all of my professors would tell you, when you get a witness on a stand, never, ever, for any reason, ask them a question that you don't know the answer to. Because like things could go like really terribly wrong if you lob out a question of something that you don't know the answer to and they take it in a completely different direction. Now as a preacher and as a pastor, I've also been trained and counseled against lobbing out questions that I can't fully articulate. People come to church for healing, for hope, for guidance, and to ask a question that you can't fully resolve in some ways feels like pastoral malpractice that I am uh, allowing something to enter into the sphere of our consciousness that um, I can't resolve. But sometimes there is a scenario or situation that is so necessary and so vital that it demands that we get away from the previously traveled courses before and we move into uncharted territories. Now, we have a lot of people from all different, all different types of backgrounds and all variety of, of different faith journeys. And some people have been uh, rocking with Jesus for a pretty long time. Others of you are newer to church and Christianity. But there is one problem that Christianity presents that's just a really difficult one to understand. And it's a problem that for a lot of people cripples them in their faith. And it's the problem of evil and suffering. Now, here's how the old adage goes. Christianity presents a God that is all of these things, all knowing, all loving, and all powerful. But yet, if God is all knowing, that means that God knows exactly what is going to happen. If God is all powerful, that means that God can do whatever God wants to do, that God can stop certain situations from happening. And if he's all knowing, he knows it's going to happen. And if he's all powerful and he can stop it from happening, and if he's all loving, meaning that the entirety of his being is not just loving, but it is love then why does evil and suffering persist in our world? This last couple of weeks in the United States, we crossed the threshold of the unimaginable, uh, a half a million COVID deaths at the time of this recording. And that is a half a million people who will no longer be sitting at the dinner table. A half a million people whose voice would never be heard again by their family members. And as I was thinking about just that number, I was just blown away almost by how numb I've become to these ridiculously uh, gargantuan numbers of how, many, how much loss we've experienced in this past year just due to COVID alone. Now, unfortunately for us, particularly at, in Renaissance, it is not just uh, COVID deaths that we have had to deal with, though certainly many of us in our community know loved ones and have lost dear loved ones uh, to COVID. Um, but for us in this past week, we lost our very own Rachel Tingle. And for those of you who knew and loved Rachel, uh, you knew just how special she was. And uh, I was thinking about it this past week. Um, the first time Rachel came to a service, it's like my preaching got like way better. And I was like, man, I finally have like a, a legit amen corner. And I would be, you know, this nervous preacher. She, she came about six months into when we first started. And to have someone who was with you from the beginning of the sermon to the end, it really did carry a young preacher through. 
And I was thinking about just all the conversations I ha I've had with Rachel in the last couple of number of years. And one of the things that stuck out about her was just, man, her fierce devotion to her son, Isaac. She loved Isaac dearly. She fought so much for him. And with all the challenges that Isaac has, uh, thinking through, like, why would God allow this challenge on top of it? Like, sometimes it just feels like unnecessary. And it's really hard to fathom and comprehend how does like a all-knowing and all-powerful and all-loving God allow suffering in this world? I talked to so many different people at our church who have had their own moments of despair where growing up, you know, the unthinkable has happened to them. Sometimes it was a family member who abused them physically, uh, emotionally, or even sexually sometimes. Uh, sometimes it was just tragedy in their childhood. And when you've had to live through those things, the question is, if there was like a real God, the God that the Bible tells me exists, all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving, then why did he let those things happen to me when I was an innocent child? For others of you, it wasn't just one isolated incident in your past. It was a series of events. And sometimes for, for many people, these events just kind of feel like they're still happening. It's like the hits just keep coming. And it feels like God spread it around a little bit, right? Like, so I know that, you know, we learned, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And I know that in this world, we will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. I know this to be true, but at least spread it around a little bit. Why do the hits keep on coming my way? For others of you, it's not really your past. It's a future that you're mourning and that you're grieving. Maybe once upon a time you, you imagined and you envisioned a dream for your life, like a really good dream for your life. Maybe it was a relationship or, um, or a job or career or whatever it is. And you've hit a point in life now where you know that that dream is not going to happen, where the divorce papers have been signed, sealed and delivered, where something has happened in health or whatever it is that have made that dream that you have had not possible to happen absent an amazing miracle. Now, what do we do in these moments? When we are trying to deal with the pains of our past or our present or the worries of for our future, like how do we navigate the situations that we find ourselves in? Now, fortunately for us, um, we are not left to, to guess or to imagine what it looks like to faithfully, honestly, and in a way that truly makes sense to us, navigate evil and suffering, notwithstanding the, the problem that it truly does present. Now, from the outset, I, I do want to, want to be very clear on what I know it's not, right? So I don't know what the answer is fully, but I, I certainly know what it's not. And it's not like a, a Christian cliche. I've heard so many horrendous Christian cliches of my years that have made me want to hit somebody. Um, and man, Christians were so quick to just throw a Band-Aid, a scripture, a quote on something and not even think about what that truly means. I remember about a, a decade ago when my late wife passed away, people saying God needed another angel. I was like, nah, he's self-sufficient. He doesn't, why would he need another angel, right? Like God did not need Rachel to, to boost the choir in heaven. That's a terrible answer to what happened in, in life. And I think Christians <clears throat> do a lot of people a huge disservice by throwing out and sprinkling out Christian cliches and these, these platitudes um, on really serious situations. So what do we do? I don't actually think the answer is purely intellectual. The Bible tells us that we are finite, 
And when the Bible says that we're finite, I think we understand the concept that one day, hopefully a very long time from now, all of us will, will die, right? And I think we understand that, particularly even when we are talking about loss, we realize our own mortality. But when the Bible says that we are finite, it's not just talking about the duration of our lives, but to be finite means that also there is a limitation on what we can comprehend in our lives. So it's not just that we are finite in the duration of our life, but in our ability to comprehend life, that there are limits to our ability to comprehend, to understand in general. So I don't know that the answer for us lies in a purely intellectual realm. Over the years, I've had a number of conversations and very difficult conversations with people who have endured some of the worst tragedies and challenges in, in their life. And man, I just don't know that there's like a good answer to tell someone like why their loved one died. Like there's no answer that's going to emotionally satisfy them. That's going to say, oh, that makes that makes perfect sense. God, now I know why that happened. Great. Thanks for the answer. Uh, the pain of loss is just too real, especially the permanent losses that are so real in so many of our lives. And when we have like permanent real losses in our lives, I just don't know that like some answer is going to really truly satisfy us in, in the deep longings that loss creates in our life. So honestly, how do we how do we process these moments in life? Now, a lot of times at Renaissance, we talk about Jesus and we talk about Jesus as being our savior. Right. And that Jesus is more than our example. But in this case, Jesus is truly the example of what it means to really wrestle with God, the father, what it really means to wrestle with real evil and suffering in our lives. Now, what Christianity gives us is not an airtight argument, but rather an airtight person. As a matter of fact, the, the nature of our faith is not intellectual that we get a better argument, but rather that we get a person. And in the person of Jesus, we can see what it means to navigate evil and pain and suffering. Um, there's a story about an x-ray technician who for years and years uh, practiced x-rays at a hospital and every single day, he would line patients up, throw them on, a, on this metal table, turn them around, manipulate them so that he can get good x-rays for his job. Periodically, he would see people wincing in pain as he moved their body on the table. One day, this x-ray technician got into a car accident and had some issues that he needed to take x-rays himself. And now he himself was on the x-ray table being moved around by another x-ray technician. And that's when it hit him what it felt like to be on the table. Now, the beauty of Christianity, and if you don't get anything else today, the beauty of Christianity is that it doesn't just give us a God who sits remotely and gives us orders or instructions on what to do, but rather a God uh, who it says in scripture has become one of us, also called the incarnation. In John 1, it says that God put on flesh and he dwelled and he lived among us. And in Jesus's human experience, we see a God put on flesh and has experienced in a real way what it feels like to be on the table of evil and pain and suffering personally. Now there's a scripture in the Bible that doesn't get preached a lot because it creates a headache for anybody trying to understand the nature of God. And there's just some things in this passage of scripture that don't really make a, a whole lot of sense. And I think, I think we stay away from it because it invites us into a mystery and we don't really like mysteries. It comes in Matthew 26, and Jesus is about to be betrayed and about to be crucified. 
And here's what's going on in Jesus's life at the moment. It says, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell down on his face and prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour. Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, Jesus went away and prayed, my father, if, it is, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The son of man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Now, Jesus was about to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot, one of his closest disciples, actually. And Jesus knew what was waiting him. When he talks about drinking the cup, he's talking about the crucifixion that he was about to endure. Now, in the crucifixion, you see both evil and suffering. If you were to read a gospel account about the brutality of crucifixion meant to embarrass, uh, shame, and inflict maximum amount of pain and suffering on people, uh, man, it's, it's just pretty tragic how much evil and suffering was in that, that one, each crucifixion. So what does Jesus do when he's faced with evil and suffering? He doesn't go to look for an argument. We see Jesus wrestling and he wrestles. And, and there's four things about this text that I want to pull out for us that I think would equip us to handle life's inevitable evil and suffering without giving up hope. Now, the first thing that we see Jesus did in, in verse 37 is that Jesus grieved. It says that he was sorrowful and troubled. And in verse 38, he says, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Now, we've talked about this a lot here at Renaissance. The necessity to grieve, to stop, to feel the negative feelings, to feel the pain, to not slap a Christian cliche on it, to not think that you're less faithful to God by feeling pain or by questioning or by being deeply grieved. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I am deeply grieved to the point of death, that he was so bothered by what was going on, that what by what he was facing, that he says, I am so deeply grieved to the point of death. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that before in a moment where life itself almost felt futile. Like it didn't, you just, where you became apathetic or you just were so overcome in sorrow that it was crushing you. And here's what we see happening in Jesus's life. So it is faithful as a Christian it is faithful as someone who wants to follow God to be deeply grieved and to feel those feelings and to not rush to some false resolution or Christian platitude that you think that you're more holy or, or, or faithful by not experiencing pain. We do ourselves a huge disservice when we try to dance around the pain of the moments that we find ourselves in. So number one, if we're going to wrestle honestly with this question of evil and suffering, we have to allow ourselves to feel the weight of the moments that we find ourselves in 
and to be grieved and to grieve. Now, to grieve in our lives, it's not a quick process. See, that's the thing about uh, our wonderful generation of people. We're used to having things at our fingertips and we're used to putting timelines on things. We have a, a one-year plan and a three-year plan and a five-year plan and we plot out the pace for which we think our life should go. But grief doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Grief doesn't let you get on and get off whenever you want to get on and get off. It is a ride and a roller coaster of emotions that we do not control. But if we'll allow ourselves to feel the emotions, to not sweep them under the rug, to wrestle with them honestly, we will find ourselves on the other side of grief eventually. So the first thing he does is he grieves. The second thing he did was he prayed through his pains. So over and over again, you see Jesus not just stuff them down, not just talk to his friends about them, but rather he was praying to God the Father through his pain. And he was over and over again, you see him coming to God with these God the Father with these petitions and with the reality of his life. And one of the things that so many people stop doing, myself included, in painful moments is we, we just stop praying. And if we're going to be people who can truly navigate the complexities of, of what it means to navigate this world and evil and suffering, we have to pray through our pain. Now, Philip Yancey uh, is an, a wonderful author, particularly in the arena of pain and suffering and loss. Um, and here's what he says in his book, Disappointment with God. He says, one bold message in the book of Job is that you can say anything to God. Throw at him your grief, your anger, your doubt, your bitterness, your betrayal, your disappointment. He can absorb them all. As often as not, spiritual giants of the Bible are shown contending with God. They prefer to go away limping like Jacob rather than shut God out. In this respect, the Bible prefigures a tenet of modern psychology. You can't really deny your feelings or make them disappear, so you might as well express them. God can deal with every human response save one. He cannot abide in the response I fall back on instinctively and attempt to ignore him or treat him as if he does not exist. That response never once occurred to Job. Now, Philip Yancey was commenting on Job, which is a book of the Bible where Job, the, the main character, goes through immense pain and suffering. And in these, in these uh, chapters in the book of Job, as we see here in the life of Jesus, coming to God with the raw emotions of what he was experiencing. And I think so many of us are afraid that we can't come to God with the rawness of exactly what we're feeling and what we see here in the text from Jesus, the, the perfect Savior, the sinless Savior, is that we can come to God with our pain and pray through our pain and our tears. The third thing we see is that Jesus transparently asked for help from his community. Right. So this is something I don't, I don't think we get the fullness of. Like Jesus, God himself in the flesh comes and asking his friends, yo, can y'all pray with me, please? Like, can you pray? And over and over again, he goes to them and says, yo, I need your help. Please pray for me. Now think about this. If Jesus needed his friends to pray for him, how much do you need your friends to pray for you in these moments? I think some of our challenges are that we, we try to do things alone and we don't let people in to know the reality of what we're feeling. And as a result, we shut other people out and eventually we'll end up shutting God out as well. So when you're struggling, I'm not saying go to anybody, but the people who are actively pushing you towards faith and to go to them with the real you, with their, your real request, request the things that you need to continue moving forward in faith. And the fourth thing we see in this text is admittedly the most difficult, which is why I put it last. 
And it's something that I've struggled greatly with in my life. It's laying down our will for God's will. And here's what we see over and over again in this text in Matthew 26. Jesus says the same line. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And I was thinking about it this week. The only way we can truly lay down our will is not through a great sermon, not through a great podcast, not through a great DNA group. It's, it's through faith. Now, faith is the evidence of things not seen. If you are a thinking person, you will notice that in your life, what God is calling you to accept, that he is good, that he is all-powerful and all-loving and all-knowing, it's going to require faith for you to believe that. Because there will be a gap between what we see and what God says about himself. And there's going to be a gap. Now, here's the thing I was thinking about today. Like, there's no version of Christianity that will allow us to be a Christian, to follow Jesus faithfully and not truly have faith. And, and I think a lot in my own life that I, I, w- I would rather have answers than have faith because faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's saying that I need to trust in something that I can not see, something that I cannot control. And that more than anything is actually what Jesus wants for us. There's a really peculiar scripture in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is talking to one of his most faithful followers, a man named Peter, and he says these words to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, even though his name was Peter, Simon, 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 Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you so that your faith would not fail. So the process of sifting was separating the wheat from the chaff. And when Jesus was talking uh, to Peter about this, he was basically saying in your life, what you're about to experience is a, a crazy shakeup of your life. That persecution was about to come. They were about to meet evil and suffering. And what does Jesus pray for? Does he say, Simon, I'm praying that you'll avoid the suffering? He says, no, I'm praying that your faith wouldn't fail you. And I, I think Jesus is telling us those words. Beloved, Satan has desire to, to sift all of you, as it says in the text, all of you as we, but his prayer for his followers is that our faith would not fail us. Now, too often we turn to theology and inspiration and practical application, but those things don't fill the gap. What does fill the gap is good old faith, faith that trusts what God says more than what we are seeing Now, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the 11th chapter is most known as the hall of faith, uh, the portion of scripture where it talks so deeply about this one concept. And here's what it says in a couple of verses. It says, now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. In verse 8, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he is going. He was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose architect and builder is God. In this passage of scripture in Hebrews, the author says that Abraham set out for a place and God says, go. Abraham says, where am I going? Don't worry about it. Just start walking. Too often, what we confuse with Christianity is actually just a grasp for certainty. And when we're grasping for certainty, it's actually just a grasp for control. If we're going to wrestle, 
if we're going to be people of faith, then we need to actually live by faith. And I, and I know how incredibly difficult that is, particularly in moments of, of pain. And one of the things that we're going to have to accept by faith is that Jesus is, is making all things new, as he says in the book of Revelation. Now, Christianity is inherently an eternal religion, meaning that it doesn't make sense to evaluate it based on our right here and our right now, but rather that God promises us that he is making all things new. And the question of evil and suffering should not be limited, limited to just right now. Here's what one author says about it. Uh, Christopher Wright in a book called I, The God I Don't Understand. He says this, we often ask why, but people in the Bible more often asked how long. Their tendency was not to demand that God give an explanation for the origin of evil, but rather to plead with God to do something to bring about an end to evil. Now, what Jesus promises us and what we have to accept by faith is that he is bringing an end to all evil and that he is going to one day wipe away every single tear from our eyes, that evil and suffering will be cast away from us and we will never experience it ever again. And that is actually the, the eternity that we, we hope for and we long for. And one of the things that evil and suffering teaches us is that this world is, is not all there is. Now, a lot of people, when they think about that concept of eternity, they, they think that it's like a crutch that Christians use uh, to explain away some of life's most difficult problems. But I, I want to caution you against that because some of the people who live the most bold and, and, and amazing lives for God did so because they truly believed and were captivated by this vision of eternity. I was reading some quotes by Mother Teresa, a woman who, has done, who needs no explanation for the life that she has lived. And here's what she said about eternity. She says this, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth, and she knew what suffering was, having worked with the, in one of the most impoverished neighborhoods on the planet. She says, the worst suffering on earth, a life full of the most atrocious tortures on earth, will be seen no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. So the God who is all-knowing, and the God who is all-powerful, and the God who is all-loving allows evil and suffering to exist in our day. Make no mistake about it. That's a reality we cannot escape. But this same God promises to wipe every single tear from our eyes, to right every single wrong, to be our just judge that makes all things new and right. And by faith, we actually have to grab on to that. So uh, this week, I want us truly thinking about what it looks like to, to follow Jesus in these moments, to wrestle honestly with our emotions, to grieve deeply, to pray through our pain, to transparently ask for help from our community, and eventually, by faith, lay down our will to God's will. So let me, let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, you know how your people are feeling right now in these moments. Lord, you know the agony, the despair, the real feelings that so many of us are feeling right now for a variety of reasons. And Lord, I pray that as we come to you and we pray that we can pray honestly and feel the freedom to do that. But Lord, more than anything, I, I, I need faith. I need you. We need you, Lord, to, to give us faith to be able to take the next step to follow you. Bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.